um, at the uh, subject matter of don't consent. Don't consent. So here recently, we most of us have heard of the tragedy, once again, uh, in a uh, major city in, in Memphis with the uh, young man who lost his life after a run-in with the cops. And so I'm, I'm on some social media platforms, and one of those I do is the platform called TikTok. A bunch of videos are placed up there. And here over the last 72 hours, it has just been inundated with uh, pictures and videos of uh, common everyday citizens having to deal with the local law enforcement. And one of the things that I have noticed, there's been a theme in all these videos that I have watched that caught my attention, and I think you'll see where we're heading with it tonight. So uh, you'll hear the citizens say, I'm not going to do that. Or you'll hear the citizens say, uh, don't violate my rights. Uh, and then I saw one man on his property knew his rights, and he stopped the cops at the edge of his property. And he said this over and over, I do not consent to you being on my property. And legally, they couldn't. They had to stop right there. And so I want you to know tonight, in our spiritual competition against the adversary, our spiritual competition must include believers saying, I do not consent. That's part of our spiritual competition. I do not consent. So there's two gods, according to the scriptures that we read. One is the true God, who is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then there's another God that most people don't even recognize. And Paul called that God the God of this world. That's the adversary, once known as Lucifer, a fallen angel now. But there's one thing that's very unique about both gods, the true God, God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then the God of this world. They both operate in the lives of people off of consent. They both operate off of consent. Now, the true God wants our free will involved. He's not going to violate your free will. He's not going to force you to read the word. He's not going to force you to pray. He's not going to force you to do anything that's found in his word. He wants your free will to be involved to do that. However, the adversary, Satan, the devil, the God of this world, will do his utmost to manipulate, to deceive in order to get your consent. He will try to get your consent through your bad habits. He will try to get our consent through our unrenewed mind. And he definitely will try to get our consent through what I'm calling the environment. The people we're around and the people we're associated with and the various narratives that we hear day by day, he tries to get our consent. Please take your Bibles and go to James. We were there just recently here on Sunday. I've been teaching a teaching series entitled Aspects of Believing. Just showing believers more and more what it means to believe God. And I just want to jump off again on this verse. Not as much as I did on Sunday. But uh, if you have not heard it, it's Aspects of Believing Part 5. It's a six-part series that I'm doing, and I, I think out of all the teaching I did, that one, one was the most important 
and most significant. So here, look at, once again, James chapter 1. I covered this in Aspects of Believing, part 5, in great detail. Won't do it tonight, just as a review. Verse 13, James 1, verse 13. Let no man say, and that man is man or woman, say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. And we shared some on this past week that this word enticed can be mean to be baited, to be deceived, to be allured. That's what the adversary wants to do. And his ultimate goal is to move us from being enticed, and then I use the terminology, then the adversary wants to flip us. And when he flips us, no longer are we just enticed, we are now part of his enticing, or we become the enticer. We are now employed by the adversary because he has flipped us with this deception and with this enticing, and now we're engaging in things that are outside the word. Verse 15, referring to the lust that he talks about in verse 14. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And then James says by revelation, do not err. Verse 16, my beloved brethren. And we shared a little bit about how does... How do we know or when does lust conceive? It conceives when it reaches the heart, that innermost part of a person's mind. We read Proverbs 4.23 that says uh, that we are to guard our heart with all diligence, for out of our heart are the issues of life. And I was trying to communicate to the believers that this is where believing comes from, whether it's positive believing or negative believing. It comes from our heart. We need to guard our heart with the greatness of God's word. So just wanted to remind us of that. Um, and we're going to look tonight briefly here at this whole thing about not giving our consent. God has warned his people from the very beginning for us not to give our consent to the things of the adversary, to the things of the devil. Please take your Bibles and let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Not giving our consent is a part of the spiritual competition. And this adversary is always trying to work in the senses, through the environment, through our unrenewed mind, through our bad habits, to get us to give him our consent. So here in Proverbs chapter 1, the first three verses, or four verses, gives us the reason why the book of Proverbs is written. So here in Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. That's the purpose, one of the purposes behind the book of Proverbs being written. And so that we would know wisdom and instruction. Well, here's the question. Whose wisdom and whose instruction? It would be God's. To perceive the words of understanding. What understanding? Spiritual understanding that comes from God. 
Verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment and equity. Verse 4, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. All of that is the reason for why the book of Proverbs is written. Proverbs is to guide us into what is considered moral and what is considered ethical. Proverbs will show us what is immoral behavior and what is unethical behavior. It'll show us all of this. Uh, one believer said Proverbs was written so that you and I could see the con man coming a mile away. I like the way he said that. So we could see the con man. Well, we know the ultimate con man is the adversary, but he is working through people around us to con us, to get us off the greatness of God's word. Now look at this in Proverbs chapter 1, where it talks about this consenting. Proverbs 1, and look at verse 10. It says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou what? Not. And so I, I want to break this verse down for you, for you, for your consideration. If sinners... For sinners are those people outside the will of God, outside the word of God. And I think there's a couple ways to look at this. Sinners obviously could be a group of people, right? Your environment. It could be people who you work with. It could be family who are not a part of the word with you. That could all be a part of this. But I also think that this word sinners could be, hear this, a series of individuals where they come one after another, all working for the adversary in an attempt to attack you. One person after another. Uh, I can't remember where I heard this. Me and my wife heard this, but someone said this statement, and it's 100% true. He said, the adversary, the devil, will give you multiple chances to sin, multiple chances to break fellowship. So that's why I think not only is this sinners here a group, but it could be a series of individuals. Now, what made me think of that is the book of Job. When you think about when Job was attacked, there was a series of events. There were people that the adversary was working through to get to Job. Uh, he, he came and killed Job's kids, and then he tried to work through Job's wife. Then he came with Job's friends. And then there was one final quote-unquote friend who showed up who was really trying to just destroy and wipe out Job's life. So there's a group. There's a series of people. And I believe this is what this is talking about. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice thee. Well, didn't we just see the word entice in the book of James? But listen to this. I, I, I did some work around this in the Hebrew from the Old Testament. This word entice here is a verb, which means it connotes action. Uh, it means um, the action is coming from another person. They're trying to entice you. It is based on what they say. It is based on what they suggest. And it is based on what they do. Now, the Hebrew word for entice is used 28 times in the Old Testament. And it's defined as Entice, it means to persuade. Here's one for you, to flatter. 
And then, of course, I told the people on Sunday, one of my favorite words in the word is this word allure. That's another word for this word enticed to allure. But let's look at real quickly here this word flatter. Well, guess what? Just for if you didn't know this, our God and Father, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, does not flatter. Flattery always comes from the realm of the adversary. God, our Father, will build up, will encourage, and will edify. But God does not flatter. Flattery is of the adversary. So you just need to be on the watch for that. It's of the adversary. And then this word here, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not, says the word. We're not to give consent. Now this word consent in the Hebrew means to be willing. You're not to be willing to go in a certain direction. It also means not to be inclined to do something. Here it also means to be in want of something. And then I was taught based on the Hebrew culture at this time when this was written, this word consent implies, listen to this, trying to fill a void in one's life. That's consent. Trying to fill a void in your life. And you know what that means. Someone's sad and lonely. Well, rather than allowing God to fulfill that need, they go outside the word of God to try to get that need met. That's the adversary. You see people who have had problems with drugs or alcohol, right? It starts off with something else being void in their life, and then they turn in these other directions, trying to get that need met, trying to get whatever it is. You know, there's people who feel like, um, and it's older people, including, and teenagers, uh, I need approval. And so they will do things that are outside the word and will of God in order to get that approval. And these are all things that the adversary sets up in people's lives. Look at Deuteronomy, please, chapter 11. Deuteronomy, chapter 11. Show you the use of this word for entice. Here in Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verse 16, look what Moses says to the children of Israel. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not what? Deceived. Just as much as God wants your heart, the adversary wants your heart. That's what he's shooting for. He's trying to get to your heart. And you see the word deceived? It's the same Hebrew word for enticed. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, that your heart be not enticed. Now watch how this works. Whenever I am enticed, I'm in the midst of deception. Whenever I am deceived, it's because I have been enticed. That's how the word works. That's how the adversary works. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside. Now, for those who heard me teach before Aspects of Believing, Part 5, I said the adversary wants to flip you. That's what I'm talking about. He wants to turn you aside. He wants to flip you. He wants to entice you so now that you start working for him. 
and ye turn aside. Now watch what happens whenever we turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. That's what happens. The adversary wants to flip us, turn us aside, and whenever we do that, whenever we provide him that consent to do these things, it's always going to lead to idolatry in some shape, form, or fashion. So I have in my archives, in my, my, my personal study, I found these notes, um, and, and, and I discovered what they were was uh, a man named Dr. Victor Paul Worrell was teaching an advanced class. I mean, these are old notes. I can tell just from the typing that someone typed this. This wasn't in our day and time where there's a computer. You can just tell the way it was put together. But while talking about how the adversary wants worship, he said the adversary wants worship directly. But if he can't get it directly, he will then get it indirectly. Okay? Now watch this. The first thing or the first bullet point under indirect worship that he put down was worship of self. I just thought that was quite interesting. And I felt like I needed to raise that again, to resurrect that again. Most believers aren't going to have some wooden thing in their backyard that they're going to go out in the backyard and bow and pray to, right? It's a different day, different time, different culture. But what the adversary will permit and allow is for you to worship yourself. He will permit that for you to worship yourself. And watch how this all works. And it'll be indirect. It's your ideas. It's your thoughts. It's your feelings and your emotions. And, and all these other things that can cloud the picture of things that people go through. That's worship of self. We don't want that. Please go back to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 where we were. Here in Proverbs 1, and look at what it says, verse 10, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Then God gives a very harsh example, but let's, let's see why he does that. Verse 11, if they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately or privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. That's a very harsh language if we can see that, right? Now, most believers would say, oh, I would never do that. And you're probably right. But what the point is, I think God hits it harshly here to get our attention. The principle is you can put almost any situation here. God chose by revelation to tell us about a murderous plot. That's what it's talking about, a murderous plot. Don't consent to these people who want to go out and rob and steal and murder people. But what about us when we give consent to gossip, when we give consent to unforgiveness, when we give consent to whatever it is that is outside the word of God? God says, don't do it. Don't give the consent. And then I also have taught this. Watch how this works. I said that there is a pleasure element to sin. If there was not a pleasure element, then no one would do it. <laughs> 
If there was no benefit to you on some level, you wouldn't do it. Watch what the adversary tries to do. God gives us this here in verses 13 and 14. Here's the benefit of the sin. Here's the benefit of, from the adversary's standpoint if you give your consent. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us and let us all have one what? Purse. There's the benefit. There's the pleasure element of this particular sin he's talking about here in Proverbs. Now, whatever other sin people may get into, there will be a quote-unquote benefit or some level of pleasure in doing it. And now let me resurrect another great principle that I think people have forgotten. If something is from the true God, then that thing will have immediate as well as long-term profit and benefit. If it is from the adversary, it will have only immediate benefit. It will not have long-term benefit. It will not have long-term profit. Hence, please hear me well, this is why the adversary, from the time we're young and teenagers, all the way up through our adulthood, the adversary is always trying to move us toward things that gratify our flesh. That's how he gets his hooks in. Something that is an immediate benefit, but then the long-term benefit and profit falls off the end of the table. It does not work. And eventually, at some point in time, that immediate benefit could be a day, several days, Several months is immediate, but eventually the adversary will always show up and show us true colors and pull the rug from underneath people and watch people come stumbling down and crashing down because they don't realize whenever God gives something to you, it will be an immediate profit, but also a long term profit. Hey, how about this thing we call the new birth getting born again? Is there an immediate profit? Absolutely. Is there long-term profit? I think that's what's called eternal life. There's the long-term profit just with getting born again. Now think about everything else that comes in the word. And then watch how the adversary works this thing, man. It will be some immediate profit. But that's where he blinds us. All we think about is the immediate What's going on in the immediate, these last few days, these last few weeks, these last few months, been wonderful, been great, just wonderful for me, right? And then it comes crashing down, because that's how the adversary works. Now look at verse 15 here in Proverbs. Look at the wisdom of God. He says once again, my son or daughter, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. That's what the word says. That's what it means. So tonight, I hope you understand, God wants us not to give our consent to the enemy. Do not consent. Do not be willing or inclined to do anything that is outside the framework of God's word. This will necessitate that we know the word so that we can do the word. How do I know not to give consent if I don't have the original 
God breathed word first. How do I know if something is counterfeit and from the adversary if I don't know the word first? That's where it all starts. Do not allow the enemy to take your bad habits to gain your consent. Turn. You do the flipping. Flip your bad habit now into a godly habit. Do not allow the adversary to get consent from you because you refuse to renew your mind in a category of life. Turn your unrenewed mind into the renewed mind in that category. And then do not allow the adversary to infiltrate through the environment, through fellowship with other people, to now turn you so he can get your consent. I always think about this environment in light of Lot being in Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that record? If you go to Peter, the word says, Lot dwelt among these people, saw their unlawful and ungodly deeds. He saw it, and the word seen is seen to the end that he desired it. See, that's how the adversary worked. He enticed Lot. He seduced Lot and his family. He got Lot's consent. And that's not what we want. So that's what I wanted to share with you tonight. Hope you're blessed by it. God bless.